Hello and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and sitting across the table from me, it's the inventor of the Taylor turn. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. The, the lesser known term. Yeah, it's the one where you try to do the growth turn but instead fall over and embarrass yourself. That's yes, the one. I pull that off routinely. That's the one. <laughs> Luckily, Taylor's going to be here. We're not here to talk about Taylor. We're not? here to talk about out of here. <laughs> Johan Cruyff. What if you tricked me? <laughs> like if you tricked me getting here by like we're just going to talk about your experience in soccer, <laughs> and now I have to on the fly talk about Johan Cruyff. Well, luckily you've done all this Cruyff research and watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with how we pronounce his name. I know Dutch people like to pronounce Cruyff. Cruyff. Yeah, yeah, we we don't have the mouth shape to do no. that correctly. I don't think Johan Cruyff. We're going to go Cruyff, even yeah. though we know there's there's a different way of doing it. Yes, yeah, because it's also like I think unless you have the lived in experience of and even even then it can be difficult. Like I lived in Istanbul, but they all call it Istanbul. Yeah. But then you end up being that person who's like Barcelona. And yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah. want to be that person, especially oh. if I've never been to Barcelona. And we'll be talking about Barcelona. We will. And today. I've never met Johan Cruyff. So yeah, I would just call him Johan Cruyff. <laughs> so today we're going to be making the argument mm-hmm. that Johan Cruyff, which is how I'm pronouncing it from now on, he may be the best player of all time. But so might Pele, so might George Best, mm-hmm. so might Maradona. But the thing you can really... Also, uh, <laughs> Steve Ball, yeah. you can, the thing you can really make the claim about with Johan Cruyff is that he changed soccer more than any other person. He has influenced the way that soccer is played today more than any other figure, both as a player um, and then later as a coach. So I would agree with that. Should okay. we talk about, like, like, just for people who are maybe, like, my mom maybe knows who yes, Johan Cruyff is, basics, but right? doesn't really know who he is, if that okay. makes sense. So l- let's think the absolute basics. Uh, Dutch footballer, mm-hmm. uh, played in the 60s I'll and 70s out. and a little bit into the 80s. Uh, played mostly for Ajax mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, Played for, won the European Cup uh, multiple times, played for Barcelona, had great success at Barcelona, uh, played in the NASL for mm-hmm. what, the Aztecs and then the, the Diplomats. Um, one brief spell with the rival Ajax team. We'll talk uh, about that. With Feyenoord. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a fascinating story, mm-hmm. um, I think. And then for the Dutch national team, he pl- took them all the way, like, kind of an unheard of, like, who, who's this Netherlands team? Mm-hmm. Um, went all the way to the World Cup final in 1974 yes. and somewhat tragically lost. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's it's a all. big moment in Dutch football, the yeah. fact that they, they lost that game to West Germany. That's all fair to say. Yeah. But then I think we've got uh, Ballon d'Or winner three times, as you said, wins the European Championship with Ajax three times in a row. Yep. Uh, with Barcelona as a manager, has a lot of success. As a manager with Ajax, has a lot of success. Then has like the health issues that sort of remove him, and I think that's also part of it, is that he doesn't really burn out as much or fade yes. away. It's just sort of is like, oh, he's not around anymore, which allows his legacy to endure a bit more. So let's talk about his legacy. Sure. How Johan Cruyff changed soccer i want to start with the cruyff turn okay it is um a move that never existed Mm -hmm. at least in the popular imagination before johan cruyff performed it at the 1974 world cup Mm -hmm. there is famous footage of cruyff um, performing this turn when he's up against a swedish defender olsen and olsen just goes in complete he really plays a good a big part in popularizing this by going in completely the wrong direction as cruyff turns and goes down the line and yeah, in terms and, of being the person who's posterized, he does a great job of being posterized. Is he maybe the most posterized it's person in soccer? It's yeah. up there. Um, so, and, and just in case you don't know, like the Cruyff turn is a thing that like any kid will learn now. Like I'm a I'm a defender. Yep. Like I'm mostly a head it and kick it away defender. Mm-hmm. I can do a Cruyff turn because it's something that is one really effective and 
Easy to do simply, but not easy to do well. I have an unanswerable question for you, but I'd like your opinion because it's something you kind of alluded to there. Do you feel like – I always have this question with moves. Do you feel like he is the first person to really do that enough that it became his move? Or like, do you think he literally is the first person to just be like, oh, I'll try this thing? Like, I think he's the first person to do it in a globally televised event. Okay, I'm sure sense. someone else did it sometime else. I think I ask you because – yeah, I do. I do. I, and I'll bet he did it probably previous to that moment in yeah. the 74 World Cup. I'm sure he did it for Ajax. I wouldn't be surprised if he did it um, earlier in that World Cup, maybe just not as uh, flashily. Because, again, like I think Olsen's reaction and his buying, biting so hard mm-hmm. really sells it and makes it famous. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's, I think it's – and then there's the simplicity of it because it's almost like this like very quick, efficient movement yes. that completely changes direction. And uh, if it's done well, does not change the direction of the defender. Uh-huh. But you're essentially – if you're facing one way, if I'm facing Daryl right now, now it's using like for me it'd be my right foot to sort of the inside of my right foot to drag the ball back underneath me and then yeah. change direction like at the you, same right? time. Yeah, and you swivel and you're in the correct direction. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's and the why reason is it so why, effective? It's so effective, I think, because it's very simple, but yeah. you can disguise it very easily because you can be yes. like, oh, I'm shaping to cross the ball and then I'm cutting it back, but the defender might try to block it. But it's also because you're not sort of the ball's not out in front. It's not me versus you and then I do the Cruyff turn. It can be, but that's not when it's most effective. It's usually when you have the defender running alongside you and then you change direction really quickly. And so it's essentially a more fancy cut, which I think is yes. the most effective move in soccer. Oh, it's just cutting the ball. Way. Should it be the Cruyff cut? Probably. Yeah. But he turns his body, so it works well. It has alliteration oh. as well. Maybe yeah. the, we should start a, a campaign to rebrand the Cruyff turn. I like that. <laughs> um, but I think, but I don't want to do that because okay. then it becomes not like a fabric in my soccer DNA. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing is I don't know if it's really simple because it's like one of the first moves I learned how to do and now I can do it really well. But I think it is the case that if you're even sort of new to soccer, it's the type of skill move that practice it once or twice and you can probably do it. And yeah. then pretty quickly it becomes part of your just kind of dribbling uh-huh. DNA. And I think it also it makes you feel good that you can pull off this move that's actually quite simple mm-hmm. to execute. I think the genius is it, is the simplicity of it. And the, you said the word efficiency yeah. earlier, right? Mm-hmm. If you think of like... Um, uh, a step over move like where you step one way over the ball but then go the other way you've still gone you've spent time going in the direction that you're not ultimately planning to go yeah. in, right whereas the Cruyff turn you're faking like the ball's going in one direction but your body never has to commit to that direction mm-hmm. you're always committing to the other direction yes. that's the efficiency and the simplicity of it and and with that in mind oh, you, the Cruyff turn. can we sort of move on from the Cruyff turn is yeah of course yeah we're gonna yeah because I think it's also like the other reason why the Cruyff turn is so big but also connects with like how Johan Cruyff changed like soccer as we know it, is that like it is sort of a good representation of total football in some ways or like Cruyff's idea of it that it's like simplicity of movement but still a little bit of flair and skill but then serves to sort of change the direction of the attack but then you can either pass the ball or shoot the ball or get rid of it it's not then you go on a slaloming dribble and then you find your teammate so you you said the magic words Uh, one of the other major major ways Mm -hmm. Johan Cruyff changed soccer he is I'm going to say the Mm co-author of total football which is a thing that a lot of people have Heard of, right? Mm-hmm. And and I would say just up front that like a lot of people have heard of, a lot of people have talked about, a lot of people have written books about it, and there a are lot t- of people don't know what it is. True, but there is like <laughs> a lot of nuance around it, and I'm just going to say we're going to do our best to not concern ourselves with the nuance of like, well, it was actually this that inspired that. It's more of a like, yeah. let's just talk about the basics of it, shall okay, we? Okay, I'll give you the basics then. Cool. The, um, the basic concept is that instead of uh, fixed positions and mm-hmm. straight lines, like a line of four defenders, four midfielders, uh, two strikers, the right winger stays on the right wing and runs up and down Mm -hmm. the right wing. Total football means 
players can move into each other's spaces mm-hmm. and rotate positions, confusing the opposition and opening up space. Yes. The key thing here, though, is that it's not as if you just do this like and change position throughout the game. You eventually get back into your original mm-hmm. position. Right? If you're a right back, you at some point get back to right back. But it means you can step into midfield and then the left winger is like, do I go with him? Do I not? Yeah. You confuse the opposition by rotating positions. And, and this is where like I really... One of the things about like doing Soccer 101, doing the show we do, is I really like learning more about it because I have these ideas of like, oh, it's like chaos, that anybody can rotate anywhere and then you can never predict what they're going to do. It probably feels that way to the opposition. Right, but it's not. And yes. that's what I really organized like about chaos. It. It's organized chaos because I think the key aspects of it are position switching and utilization of space. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about position switching, like a key example, you said right back to midfield. What you didn't say was right back to left midfield because it's a lot of... It's a long way. It's verticality <laughs> of switching, right? Like right back can become a right winger can become a or right midfielder can become a right winger right winger can become a right back but you're sort of still in your same areas for the most yeah. part Cruyff maybe does his own thing uh-huh. but like that's the idea is that because people can rotate along like vertical lines it makes it really difficult to know who is going to pop up where and when but it makes it easy for you the team doing it to know where you're supposed to be at any given moment okay and i called him the co-author yeah. um why did i do that taylor i'm sure you know because we've done this we've surely done the same yeah, research because he was not just automatically the coach from yes. day one at ix he had a couple different coaches but the one that you're alluding to would be renus uh, Mikkels. is yes. that how we've agreed to pronounce I it i think that's how you pronounce uh-huh. it renus Mikkels. your yeah, people the- usually go right Rinus Michaels, <laughs> and then I've heard like Renu Michel, and so I don't know what to go with that. Renus Michaels was the mm-hmm. coach of Ajax right. in the late sixties, early seventies. Right. Uh, they won the European Cup. Mm-hmm. They they sort of started playing this incredible brand of football. Right. Yeah. So the way I've heard it best described, and when I've seen it, I think this is the best way to describe it. Um, Michaels is the coach who's telling the team play total football Cruyff is the conductor on the field Mm -hmm. because some of that position switching is literally Cruyff telling people to go you go here you go there right he's conducting it on the field and the great sort of um, line I read in um, uh, what was it called Neurotic Um, Genius yeah it's not called it's called Brilliant Orange the Neurotic Genius of Dutch Football by Mm -hmm. David Winner is um, Mikos was the coach Cruyff was the conductor on the field telling people where to go and they obeyed because Cruyff was always right Mm -hmm. right he had a track record of proving that like hey when I tell you to switch positions Mm -hmm. some success comes from that so everyone's just like all right, I'll just do what Johan says. Yes. You know what I mean? I know that's his perspective. I think yeah. some of the Ajax players would disagree, well, which eventually maybe may, leads to why he eventually doesn't Eventually, you there. may be you're welcome yeah. doing that. But to begin with, at least, this mm-hmm. thing was super successful because Cruyff was conducting total football on the field with Mikel's coaching it from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And then the famous 74 Dutch team... Yep. It's the same situation, right? It's Mikkels is the coach, Cruyff is the conductor. Right. Um, I, I want to like go one layer down with the total football, though, because Let's I think it. another way... In which maybe the game changed him, which then allowed Cruyff to change the game further on down the road, is that like uh, Mikkels is this incredibly formative coach, as you said, starts in the 60s, is there till 71 when they win, I believe, their first European Cup. Then Mikkels goes to Barcelona, and Cruyff has a series of coaches like one year to the next. Yeah. And Mikkels, by all accounts, was this sort of like Pep Guardiola-esque drill sergeant. Everybody's got to know exactly what they're supposed to do, and it's really rigid. Cruyff likes that but kind of hates it. He is yeah. not the most workaholic of players. Uh-huh. And then he has a coach who's very laissez-faire, and that kind of works and kind of doesn't. Then he has another coach who's a bit more in between. But I say that just to say that even though they're still playing total football, he gets these experiences of like hands-off coach, hands-on coach, and in between he gets like a Goldilocks situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that allows and him to say— He's the constant say, as well. Yeah, right? but it allows him to then kind of look at that and think— 
I like this and I didn't like that and I'm going to like like kind of breed these approaches together and use that when I become a manager. Yeah. So that sort of total football experience but with through the lens of different managers at the same club, I think is another reason that he is able to change the game. All right, I'm going to take us a little more trivial now. Cool. I'm going to say uh, Johan Cruyff is the first player to wear an unorthodox right. non-1211 jersey. Yeah. When you picture Cruyff, you picture him wearing what number? 14. 14. Like, can you picture any famous player before that who was famous for wearing a non-1211 jersey? No. Right? Not even sure. I, can, I mean, it's mostly just nines. Yeah. I think of the number nine is what I think <laughs> of. Pele wearing 10. Yeah. Right? There's, mm-hmm. there's no one else doing this that I know. Not so much. So it all starts with an accident. It's So when Ajax are playing a PSV, this is in 1970, uh, Gerald Muren couldn't find his usual shirt, the number seven. So Cruyff offered up his usual shirt, mm-hmm. the number nine. Cruyff was kind of a striker, right? So he, he wore the number nine. Um, he gave Muren his number nine, said, mm-hmm. hey, you wear this. I'll just grab something from this basket of shirts. He took one of the sub shirts. It was number 14, mm-hmm. right? Um, I actually won the game 1-0. Cruyff is kind of superstitious. Cruyff wants to keep wearing the number 14. That's how the number 14 became famous, and he became the first non-1-11 player mm-hmm. uh, that, that like, popularized a non-1-11 number. Do you, think it, do you think there's a decent chance that given that it was the convention of 1-11 or your starters, that there was a little bit of a pushback? Like, no, you have to wear like You can you can wear that this time, it's an outlier, but next time you've got to wear so number 10. the Dutch Football Association mm-hmm. were not happy next game out when, yep. they wanted, when Cruyff wanted to wear 14. But here's one of the, the major things of the reason Cruyff... And I guess was, you didn't care about that? Yeah, Johan Cruyff. <laughs> He yeah. tends to get his own way. Yeah. One, because he's like this, you know, um, icon mm-hmm. of a figure. Um, and then he's just determined to get his own way. And the Dutch Football Association is not going to go against Cruyff for something that doesn't really matter all that much, right? Yeah. So he's able to bend those rules because he can bend an association to his will, at least on these small things. Yeah, like one of my notes I have about him, and this goes to like another way I think he changed like world soccer, at least in my opinion, is that I get the impression that if you basically like tell him he can't play anymore because he's literally dead, he's going to like rise from the grave to play one more game. <laughs> he does not enjoy being told what to do. No. And with that in mind, he is representative to me of one of the earliest examples of a player sort of asserting player power. In my player notes, it says he basically invented player power. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he really did. You've got like that Jersey story. You've got the story about how he was sponsored by Puma, mm-hmm. uh, the Dutch sponsored by Adidas. He didn't want to wear the three stripes, so they had to custom make him a two striped jersey yep so look at the 74 world cup you'll see all the dutch team in three stripes cruyff wearing two stripes and that's like that is maybe like a slightly petty one because it's like oh he just didn't want to like betray a sponsor but that was a very different relationship in the 60s and 70s It's also because the sponsorship is individual versus the team sponsorship and he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna lose out on his sort of individualism indeed but then like extend that to when he's playing at barcelona and he has a son and they're like oh you can't use catalan names and he's like yeah okay i'm gonna name my my son the most catalan name possible in jordy and then he has to go back to the Netherlands to be able to do that but he doesn't care because it's like if you tell me I cannot do a thing I'm going to do that <laughs> thing if you spite me I will find a way to spite you back <laughs> and I like that isn't always my favorite quality in soccer players when they're yeah. like sort of so obsessed with themselves and their brand and their ideas of soccer and how they're right but I feel like that is a modern idea whereas you look at soccer of the 70s and he comes from like the I, mean, I think the Dutch FA was the second or, or, or maybe the last or second to last like big European organization to professionalize. Yeah, he comes right. from that model and then is able to sort of assert his authority and become this independent player and sort of get what he wants to get at a time when that was not common. 
And here's the thing. If you go against him, mm-hmm. he will get his vengeance. Oh, As yes. <laughs> Ajax found out. Um, I actually can't remember what year it was. Twice, I would say. Was it? I want to focus on the Rotterdam incident. Let's do it. So mm-hmm. is this 81? I, I believe say? so, yeah. Okay, so um, Ajax won the league. Cruyff had been playing for Ajax. Mm-hmm. He wanted another contract. They he didn't did. want to give him another contract. They did not. Maybe not the money he was asking for because he was towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, okay, A- 83 fine. is, 83, yeah. excuse mm-hmm. me. He goes and signs with their rivals. Remember, he's Ajax through and through, yeah. right? Goes and signs for He's their rivals. F- five minutes walking oh, from the stadium, right. I believe. Yeah. Goes and signs for Feyenoord mm-hmm. Rotterdam. The artist of our rivals. The artist of our rivals. Yeah, it's all about the like Ajax is the cultural, educated mm-hmm. city. Rotterdam is like the working class, uh, blue collar, mm-hmm. like port town, right? Yeah. Goes and plays for Rotterdam, wins the league with Rotterdam. League and cup double. <laughs> and is named Dutch footballer of the year the same season. So you don't cross Johan Cruyff. And- this is why people would do what he said because they didn't want him to use his incredible powers to. Uh, yeah. He's like, and- he would cast, um, put a curse on you. And like, he, <laughs> yeah, and like maybe also had supernatural powers for himself because one of the reasons Ajax did didn't want to offer him that new contract is at that point he's getting old in years they don't know how reliable he's going to be they don't know how much they can rely on him for next season and they want to bring through younger players so he goes to Feyenoord where he plays all but one game he plays like every single game that next season (laughs) to sort of again it sort of is like oh you're too old oh I'm too old well now I'm going to play every single game and beat you like that is his mentality and he somehow does it um, I've got one more. Um, it's Please. a positional one. Mm-hmm. I would argue he sort of invented the false nine position. Yeah. So I said earlier that before the 14, he was wearing the nine. Yeah. He really was a guy who was nominally a striker when you name the team. But he would wander off because he would want the ball a lot. I mean, exhibit A of this, which, forgive me if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm going to assume you were going to talk about the 1974 World Cup final? Where uh, he, well, that's one of them, yeah. <laughs> he starts off as, as like, like the, maybe, if not the center forward, one of the forwards, goes all the way back to midfield to get the ball off a center back, then dribbles all the way up the field and gets fouled in the box, penalty to, to the Netherlands, they're up 1-0 in like the first nine minutes. Yep. No, it's before the Germans even touch the ball. Yep. But yeah, definitive false night of leaving the forward line to go all the way back to get the ball and then yep. coming all the way back up the field. Uh, do you have any more? Any more ways that uh, Johan Cruyff changed soccer? We haven't really talked about his coaching stuff yet, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. Do you want to get to that now, or do you want to get to something we, else? If first? there's more playing stuff, then I, I want to get to that. Otherwise, let's do our ad read. Um, I mean, I think I, I would say that, like I talked earlier about how he. Uh, came from an era in which there wasn't professionalism in Dutch soccer. And I think as a result, Dutch soccer was looked upon not really at all. There was, it wasn't really seen. It was more like it's about England. It's about what Germany's doing, yeah. Italy, Spain. That's why that 74 World Cup final mm-hmm. appearance from the Netherlands was just shocking at the time. But I think the, there's a reason, like, like the United States, the thing that we talked about a lot with Sergio Dest when he was trying to decide between the U.S. and the Netherlands is like technically the U.S. has been to more World Cups recently than the Dutch. Yeah. And yet I still have this idea that the Dutch are this world-class elite level soccer thinkers and they will always find a way in there. and that comes from Johan Cruyff like yeah. it really does he establishes our modern understanding of Dutch soccer uh-huh. and that that has carried all the way through to present day where in 2010 when they go to the World Cup final he's rooting against them because they're not playing the right way they're playing not like, like young Mark Van yes, Bommel football exactly right? yeah. like it's just that sort of idea that a player can sort of change the entire way a country's soccer is perceived yes. is pretty amazing because like Maradona an amazing soccer player, but we don't look at Argentina and say like, oh, they're all the best dribblers in the world. We think they of Maradona's... They a lot of number 10s. They do, but they also produce their fair number of like great goal poachers and good center backs yeah, and yeah. quality central midfielders. Like it's it's not this like this free-flowing, creative-thinking, attacking player who's capable of anything. Yeah. Oh, so you're do... saying he's the DNA of Dutch soccer? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yes. Because he's the first figure after they professionalized. You're saying that and you're saying it more succinctly and I like it and I'm taking it. It's mine now. Well, let's see if we can do the same with today's advertising. Sure. Uh, today's Soccer mm-hmm. one. 
101 um, is sponsored by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is a VPN, mm-hmm. and it's not just the most express one. I think it's the best one. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you briefly explain what a VPN is, Taylor? Sure. It, it's essentially – I can. I am not the like technical person here, but I shall do my best. It essentially makes it seem as though your computer is connecting to the internet or operating from the country in which you need it to be so that you can yep. access the services there. So if you want to watch Dutch Netflix, for example, <laughs> you can use ExpressVPN yep. to get, make it as though I believe your IP address is yep. in the Netherlands. So then you get to watch Dutch Netflix. I'm glad you mentioned Netflix. Uh, Netflix um, – is uh, a service that can sometimes tell um, if you're using a VPN. Mm -hmm. Certain VPNs don't know how to deal with that. ExpressVPN is one step ahead. Much like Johan Cruyff, ExpressVPN is one step ahead of the opposition. Yeah, and so if you do have a sort of journeyman career, a la Johan Cruyff, where you're moving around (laughs) to different countries and playing in different leagues at different times, didn't really exist in the 1970s, nor was it quite as necessary. But today, if you want to stay connected to the pop culture of your homeland, of your country, where you makes you feel a little bit less homesick, maybe, you can use the VPN to be able to watch American television if you're a young American playing in Germany, for example. Or the other way around, if you're an Mm -hmm. American in America and you want to experience some foreign culture like the BBC in the UK mm. or German television or Dutch television, yeah. you can do that using the VPN. Yeah, that Including is to watch a lot of soccer. It really yeah. does give you global access to all kinds of different uh, soccer broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And it's, I would say also it's very simple because as we yeah, have... We've made it sound complicated. Like I'm sure it is complicated behind the scenes, but mm-hmm. ExpressVPN makes yeah. it very simple. Don't you literally just click a button? Mm-hmm. You choose a country, then click a button that says connect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much it, which is a really nice feature for if you're somebody like me who looks at like weird serv- – it's not even a weird service, but to me like things that you might like download from the internet that's like now I'm giving an access to my computer and it's telling my- where my IP address is. Like what – how could this be use- used against me? I'm very paranoid. I have my camera covered. I don't trust anything. Are you one of those but, people? But ExpressVPN – oh, yeah, 100%. percent show you my camera. Uh, my wife brought home a Google Home, and I was like, are you trying to bring down this house? Do you want to turn our property over to the Russians? Is that what you want? Um, but with ExpressVPN, I don't have those concerns because it is so simple and easy to use that like nothing that betrays you is that simple. And I feel like ExpressVPN <laughs> makes it very easy to like essentially utilize what could be a very complex service. The other thing is um, VPN can be used for your security, mm-hmm. right? So you, your IP address is not it's not your local IP address. Mm-hmm. It's the IP address from wherever you say you are. Like yep. you want to say you're in the UK. That will be your IP address uh, for when you go on the internet. So right. it's an added layer of security. VPN, I believe, stands for Virtual Private Network. I believe you are correct. If our listeners would like to try it out, mm-hmm. um, you can protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Soccer. Mm-hmm. That's expressvpn.com slash soccer for three months free with a one-year package. You can visit expressvpn.com slash soccer to learn more. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for making me trust the internet a little bit more, even though I shouldn't, <laughs> but very much appreciating their services and for sponsoring today's episode. Making Soccer 101 possible. Making Soccer 101 possible. That too. Um, one more thing as a player, like, yeah. like it kind of connects to the uh, Cruyff turn, but that he... And he's representative of him like in his entire career, player and manager, is just always looking for nuances and variations and loopholes to some, to some extent. Yes. As an example, he was the one, I believe, who went for the uh, passing a penalty kick instead yes. of shooting it. And, he like, was the lay- first to do it. Yeah, and yeah. Like, Barcelona tried you know that why? recently. It's partly because he just didn't like the idea yeah. of soccer being reduced to of course. you kick the ball from 12 yards out when a referee blows a whistle and tells you when to kick it. This yeah. is him just wanting to mm-hmm. show that things don't have to be done the way that people say it can be done. Done. This is also where, like, uh, maybe it's because I like Cruyff, and so, like, I don't 
roll my eyes as hard as I did. It's like reading Maradona's biography when there's a lot of like, and then I did this. It's like you did not do that at that moment. <laughs> you were not you were not like choosing to go play for this team out of social justice and a sense of moral correctness. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. is not what you were doing. It's where you could get a country. I will say here that does feel like Cruyff like just wanted to mess around or something. I was like, what if we do that? And then they did it. And then five years later, it was like, it didn't feel right morally and spiritually. It's like, okay, I understand that five years later, your opinion on this has changed. But in the moment, it was just kind of a cool thing to do. <laughs> so can you describe that penalty kick? I mean, it's just like you do like, it's like, it's like a disguised run up still, but then mm-hmm. instead of shooting it, you just sort of lay it off like uh, laterally. And the idea is that I think, I think you have like, to go slightly forward, right? I believe that's yeah, correct. But only yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. And so then, but if you disguise it enough, you kind of like, uh, modern soccer would be that the goalkeeper is just kind of guessing the side, hopefully with some sort of nuanced information. So they're diving left, and if you sell it enough, then they've like dive to their left. The goal is now open. The other player just comes through and like passes the ball home. That's the key part. Exactly. Right? After yeah. you touch the ball forward, you're the designated penalty kick taker. Yep. You just touch it forward a little bit, but you've essentially passed it to someone mm-hmm. who can run from outside the area yep. and runs onto a kind of through ball that you've laid off for them. Yeah, and it also then creates it gets pe- a confused goalkeeper. And yeah, right. Because even if the goalkeeper hasn't fully committed, hasn't like uh, dived to one side, suddenly now they're like, oh, I guess I got to scramble to get the ball, and that pass can then come right back to Johan Cruyff, who can yep. then just pass it home with no goalkeeper in there. Are you ready to talk about Cruyff, the coach? Oh yeah. Okay. I certainly am. Here's my big pitch. Um, I don't think many people would argue with this, actually. Um, Johan Cruyff gave us the modern version of Barcelona, including the famed La Masia. Yes. Yeah? Agreed. He is the absolute Mm -hmm. sort of architect of what the modern Barcelona looks like. This happens in two ways, right? Mm -hmm. As a player, he went when he left Ajax, he joined Barcelona in, I believe, 1973. They hadn't had a lot of success recently. Um, They won the league the year he joined, Mm -hmm. um, including a 5-0 win over Real Madrid, right? right? So he's a big deal in Barcelona as a player. When he comes back as a coach in 1988, um, after three years of coaching Ajax and Mm -hmm. doing really well at Ajax, he revolutionizes the club. Right. He brings with him a style of play, which is... One, it's total football. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment to possession and to passing, all that kind of stuff. And the, the the biggest change that he makes, I believe, is he says, okay, this is the way the first team plays, but also this is how the B team's going to play, and this is how all the youth teams are going to play. Mm-hmm. And at La Masia, which is the, it's the name of the, uh, the youth system at right. Barcelona, La Masia existed, but it was just like churning out youth players. And there's even a thing of like, you've got to be this tall to mm-hmm. make the first team and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He completely got rid of all that. You start getting rondos, you know, the 5v2, the keepaway stuff. Worth noting there. Happens from the professional team all the way down to the youth team so that you get these players who come through La Masia who are schooled in the way of playing the way Cruyff thinks you should play football. That is how Barcelona still more or less play today. It's I mean, the way Guardiola played. As far as I understand that he's the one who introduced rondos to Barcelona. Wow. I've read that in two different books, okay. which blows my mind. that like Because it's so associated with Barcelona yeah, now. I mean, yeah. like that, that uh, Guardiola team that wins everything, like that was how they would train. Like when they were doing their preseason tours in the US, you could go watch them train, but it was just a series of rondos the whole time because yep. it's just lots of little touches in a confined space. It teaches you how to think quickly on your feet. And if you're doing that from top down... Now suddenly, like imagine a world where like the training for a 13-year-old in Barcelona's academy is run a bunch of sprints, try to grow faster, I guess, like put yourself <laughs> on the rack and stretch yourself out, and then do like a lot of rigid drills for a person like Cruyff who hated rigidity and you have to do this at this time, you have to do this at this time. Yep. He brings in this just like, no, just play soccer, pass the ball. And it becomes naturally, if you're used to rigidity and it has to be this way, and now it's just like, no play like essentially pick up soccer with your friends who are in your team it makes it more fun it brings about this kind of vibrancy that I think exists to this day in Barcelona here's, here's a stat when Cruyff took over Barcelona mm-hmm. in 1988 
They'd won two league titles yep. in 28 years. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine like Barcelona for the next 28 years only winning two league titles? Mm-hmm. They are now at such a level of success. It all started when Johan Cruyff took over as head coach and absolutely revolutionized it. I, it is, I used the word architect earlier. Yeah. Here's what Pep Guardiola says about Cruyff and Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Cruyff built the cathedral. Our job is to maintain yep. and renovate it. Every coach since kind of is, is schooled in that Cruyff, Cruyff way of thinking. Mm. It's the Barcelona way of thinking. And, and yeah, and if you're thinking in terms of like lineage, like Guardiola is his heir, like is his successor. Yeah. Like Pep Guardiola exists as he does today, certainly his own work, but Pep, like, because of the influence of Johan Cruyff, Johan Cruyff moves him from a winger to a central midfielder, mm-hmm. teaches him about like how spatial awareness and the individuality and how you have to work with players, and that becomes the way Guardiola coaches. We've seen the clips. I talked with uh, Bobby Warshaw about this, and he rolled his eyes at me because I was very much in love with Cruyff, but like <laughs> the way Pep Guardiola is in that clip with Raheem Sterling, where it's like, no, you've got to be here, and you've got to be here at this time. That is who Cruyff was a ma- as a manager, and I say that to say that that in and of itself was a very revolutionary way of doing it. Michael Cox in his book Zonal Marking has a whole thing about Van Hall and Cruyff and how they were representative of like the two ideas coming out of Total Football. Of Van Hall was, no, you play the system. If you're a right winger, you stay on the right wing, you stay on that touchline. If you come inside, I will sell you. Like that is what <laughs> he got rid of players who didn't fit the exact specifications and didn't play as a team. Mm-hmm. Whereas Cruyff was much more about managing the individuals to get the best out of them, that comes back to haunt him when he kind of loses the ability to control some of the egos that respond to that type of treatment. But that sort of individual level of coaching and training that we see from Pep Guardiola to Raheem Sterling and his players at Man City or Bayern Munich or Barcelona, that comes from Johan Cruyff establishing that as the operational policy. And then you've got Spain winning the, what, the Euros, the World Cup, the Euros? Yeah, they did that. 2010, Mm -hmm. 2012. That is a very uh, Barcelona-infused team, right? Mm -hmm. Those teams are the teams of Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, um, all of whom came through La Masia, like that really, you see, you see the influence now, not just throughout Dutch football, um, with Barcelona. And I, f- I feel like the era is sort of coming to an end now, but the, that Spanish dominance era yeah. when they won all those trophies, mm-hmm. that's a very Cruyff influence thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's still strange to me that there's not more success at national team level with the Dutch. But then that gets into, like, we talked about total football a lot and how that's all the Dutch were. But in reality, that Dutch team that is so successful in the Euros and to some extent at the World Cup yeah. is also, like, fine or defenders being rigid and physical and knocking people <laughs> off the ball, still buying into the system. But there are nuances within Dutch football that also factor in as well. Okay, anything else in terms of, like, just bullet points of how Johan Cruyff uh, changed soccer? Or do you want to talk about Cruyff, the personality, which well, is I, the I, other I, thing we want to do? One more slight bullet point we kind yeah. of touched on on this already but just the idea that he was a player who again at that at that time in that era was not afraid to not stick to soccer that he would public like, publicly talked about how he would never play for Real Madrid because of their connection to uh, Franco mm-hmm. who was still alive when he moved to Spain and talked about naming his kid and how he kind of wouldn't he went all in on uh, Catalonia yeah right? like I uh, yes in. and I think so and I think that connects to his idea of like social justice and there are ways to be and there are ways not to be yeah. and I like that idea and I think with that in mind like we you've talked about how sort of uh, British footballers in the 80s and early 90s, I ask you this all the time on the show, who's the one who like read the newspaper and so everybody was like, oh, this guy, what does he think he is? Like some academic? Oh, so uh, Graham Lasseau because yeah. he read The Guardian. Right, yeah. exactly. And I guess I think of it as like Johan Cruyff, meanwhile, like would be like smoking in the whirlpool afterwards, like reading a book of like like philosophy. Like he, I think this idea of like, no, if you're a soccer player, you don't just play soccer. You also think about the world and operate within it. That's why Dutch football is... Uh, yeah. Is and mm-hmm. is perceived as sort of a more intellectual pursuit yeah. than most other most other football. Yeah, and, uh, and I think of football, that yeah. that's kind of amazing. Again, given that it comes from like amateur background of yeah. you play with your local 
on a Sunday afternoon to go from that to like, you know, reading a book on philosophy while scoring goals for Barcelona in the Champions League. So let's talk about Cruyff the personality sure. because there definitely is that we, we've talked about all these ideas he had and the things he did and some of it is like, some of it's raw talent, right? If you can't do the Cruyff turn athletically mm-hmm. the way that he can, like if, he did, he, if he'd been yeah. just a thinker with no athletic ability, there'd, be, <laughs> there'd kind of be nothing to him. Yeah. But there's also like a force of personality yes. and I want to talk about his personality essentially and where that came from. The, the saying, never meet your heroes, which obviously we cannot because he has passed away, has never been more the case for me than with Johan Cruyff. I would never want to meet him. Why is that? Because I just he, – he strikes me as, from everything I've read, everything I've heard about him, as borderline talking about himself in the third person. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, and, and, and I think I can respect everything he did but also recognize that he would probably be very difficult to get along with. Here's a, here's a good example. Um, I, w- I once, I once okay. uh, gathered together mm-hmm. some of the best um, quotes – of Johan Cruyff. This was published for mm-hmm. Pace magazine. And I think the one that kind of encapsulates that thing of like genius but infuriating is before I make a mistake, yep. I don't make that mistake. Yeah. He, that is like, he had a few of those. In a way, I can see the logic mm-hmm. of that, but there's such an arrogance behind that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'd still want to meet him, but I could see how he could end up being dismissive in a way. Yeah. I yeah. mean, but like you look at where he comes from as well and his sort of background, and it does explain part of that because okay. he's Tell me about um, born April 1947 in an Amsterdam. Oh, you're not giving me a full biography, are you? No, but he's born, I mean, April 1947 in Europe. Imagine the okay. state of Amsterdam at the time. Okay. Like, bombed out buildings everywhere, still World War II rubble. So, I mean, but he's born five minutes from Ajax's stadium. His father dies when he's very, very young. And so he kind of has a surrogate father who becomes a stepfather who's like the groundskeeper at Ajax. But he has an immense amount of hardship from an early age onward. And that kind of continues throughout his life. But I think because of that, it kind of hardens him to this idea of like things have to be a certain way. Or things don't have to be a certain way. I think in the end, they basically just have to be the way Cruyff wants them to be <laughs> because he grows up in this sort of like, you've got to make it yourself. So the only way you're going to find success is to make it happen yourself. And so what about the idea that he's, what? so his surrogate father was mm-hmm. the groundsman at Ajax. Yes. He's also born five minutes from the stadium. Yes. There's definitely- His I'm mom getting... was the housekeeper to Vic Buckingham, who was the manager of Ajax growing up. So he grew up with the manager's so kids, basically. I'm kind of, get... we, we talked about this off earlier, mm-hmm. right? I'm getting vibes of uh, Bill Gates. Um, yeah. the, the way that Malcolm Gladwell describes mm-hmm. Bill Gates in Out liars is that he's very fortunate in a way that he was in the right place at the right time because he was in Washington he was what near the only computer that existed yes (laughs) do you know what I mean so there's a thing of like his ideas were able to take hold at Ajax. You're talking about, by the way, you're talking about Bill Gates. They're not Johan Cruyff. Johan Cruyff was not in Washington growing up around computers. No, but, but he was yeah, yeah. in Amsterdam mm-hmm. growing up around Ajax. Yes. Right? And I think there's a similar thing. And, and with that in mind, an Ajax like, organization that historically embraced different ways of thinking, different ideas. If he yeah. grows up in the exact same conditions, but to your earlier point in Rotterdam, he probably does not have that same level of like thinking about things differently and Maybe. we should always be striving for other things and yeah. other understandings. Yeah, so, so yeah, I think it's probably a time and place sort of situation. But then he also has just the iron-headedness that uh, we've talked about already, the, uh, the captaincy vote that uh, has him leaving Ajax. Like it, it sort of sends you that idea that he's this integral figure. He's this like the focal point of the Dutch and Ajax teams, and yet simultaneously a captaincy vote doesn't go his way. And he's like, you know what? I'm done with it. I'm out of here. Like, that's not the kind that's of— when he leaves for Boston. Yeah, so yeah. he still has that uh, temperamental disposition yeah. that you sort of have to have that goes like part and parcel with being this, like, it's my way or the highway— and also, if it's not my way, I'm going to be like throw my toys out the pram yep. and leave. So, what else, what else have you got? What else do you want to talk about in terms of Cruyff's personality? Um, well, I think like a couple things uh, really quickly. One of them, like he takes over Barcelona at the time when they are 
as you said, at their all-time low. Mm-hmm. I think they sacked 15 players and Luis Aragonés, the manager, uh, the season prior. And so it's just, a bit of a rebellion, right? It's yeah. called like there's something... The uh, Hesperia mutant. mutiny. There we go, yeah. yeah. It's basically the players didn't want to pay more tax than they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. They thought the public would back them. The public did not. Yep. And so it turned everything against Barcelona. That Cruyff kind of comes in. It is sort of a, like, oh, he's able to turn it around, and it's amazing, and it's how good of a coach he is. But I think... In line with what we've been talking about, it's also the case that if you're taking over a Barcelona team that are literally at their lowest point, like I think they were 15 points behind Real Madrid with like two months to go in the season, like it is sort of the unique opportunity to be like, okay, we are categorically not doing things right. So if you have ideas about how to do things differently, by all means do them. And so he kind of walks into a situation that is tailor-made for him to change this massive club at a time when they needed it. At other times, he probably doesn't have that freedom. So he's maybe right place, right time. That's what I'm saying. There are definitely those elements to it. Yeah, I've just realized one thing we didn't talk about was his um, influence on Ajax, the soccer team. Because obviously Barcelona is the the bigger example, but Ajax is a massive, massive football team as well, right? The way that Ajax brings through youth now and the way that they play soccer... Mm Like that's it's almost there's a reason that Barcelona and Ajax play very similar styles of soccer. Another Cruyff right? quote would be, uh, "I've never seen a bag of money score a goal." I think yes. it is. Like yeah, so but to you your point, much, you mm-hmm. can copy and paste everything we said about Cruyff at Barcelona, and you know the, he built the cathedral, mm-hmm. we just maintain and renovate it, and it's all that is true of Ajax, just with a slightly smaller budget. Yes, and like Van Hall would not love this because Van Hall. I think to this day does not really like Johan Cruyff, mm-hmm. but like that Van Hall Ajax team that goes on to win the Champions League in what ninety four was it? 95. I think ninety five. Um, like that team exists because of the like Ajax DNA blueprint that was established with Cruyff as a player, with yep. uh, Mikkels as a pl- as a coach. Oh, okay, there is so much we could talk about with Cruyff. Have you mm-hmm. got anything else that you really want to hit on? I know it's kind of tempting to just get ev- everything you've ever heard about Cruyff into one show. I have a I have a weird what if for you okay. that I'm sort of like I don't know if this will be as interesting as I think it was when I wrote it down, but. Because uh, Cruyff, he steps away from the game because of heart issues, and essentially yep. that's when he stops coaching. But there was talk about him taking over the Dutch squad in 1994 mm. for the World Cup. That doesn't end up happening. But I look at that uh, as like uh, Captain Ronald Koeman, who Johan Cruyff uh, coached at Barcelona. You've got Ajax traditional players, Frank de Boer, Ronald de Boer, Mark Overmars, Edwin van der Sar, Peter uh, van Vossen, all come through the Ajax system. And then there were five players that were the core of Cruyff's team. Dennis Bergkamp, Frank Reinkard, Danny Blind, uh, Vichy, and Bosman. So I look at that Dutch squad, and it's suddenly like all of these players who were like taught their entire career to revere Johan Cruyff, to play the system that Johan Cruyff wanted. And I do wonder if he manages... Uh, the Netherlands in the 94 World Cup, do they find a way through? Does he lead them to a World Cup victory or does that completely tarnish his reputation? It is strange that he never coached the right? Dutch national team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I always thought that like the, he doesn't see it this way, by the way, but the, the there's still this like tragedy at the heart of Dutch football is mm-hmm. they played this incredible, like blows everyone's minds way of playing soccer in 1974 get to the World Cup mm-hmm. final, score that goal yeah. after a couple of minutes where Germany don't even touch mm-hmm. the ball and they win a penalty and score. They're 1-0 up. And there's all these stories of how, like, yeah, we thought we'd won it and we were just going to coast and like, yeah. almost embarrass the Germans, taunt the Germans, a little bit of payback for invading us in World War II, kind of. They end up losing the game 2-1 mm-hmm. to West Germany and they've never won the World Cup. And mm-hmm. it's almost like that was the... The, the original heartbreak of Dutch soccer that yeah. had dr- driven them crazy <laughs> ever since. Yeah. And I always thought that, like, wouldn't it have been great for Cruyff? Because then Cruyff then, for still unknown reasons, doesn't go to the 78 World oh, Cup. There's well, all you, kinds of rumors why, right? Well, yes, but I think there's one that's kind of the, the truth. Okay, right? you tell me the truth. The, his family were kidnapped, or there was a, a kidnapping attempt. A kidnap threat against his wife. Yeah, right? and yeah. basically, or I think, yes. And so I think basically that's what led him to not want to go, is that that happened... 
I think like after they had qualified, like he was in qualifying and okay. then he decided I'm not going. And the narrative that he has said, I think in recent history is basically I didn't feel comfortable leaving my family because there was a risk that that could happen. Okay. And so I stayed home. And I, then it became... I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Then, yeah. That's and then it said. got turned into, at the time, like, oh, he didn't want to support the, the military junta in Argentina. Yeah. And there was all those kind of narratives. But I kind of believe the kidnapping story a little bit. Okay. But the, anyway, he mm-hmm. doesn't get into the shot at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought there would have been a nice, like, um, yeah. balance to him eventually coaching the Dutch team at the World Cup. It would yes. have been a glorious, glorious story, but See, unfortunately it doesn't happen. It might have been, but this is the like fade away or burn out. Like, there's also a chance that instead of, I think they go on to lose uh, in the 94 World Cup 3-2 to Brazil in the quarters, there's also a chance that like it implodes and he doesn't make it out of the group. And then That's suddenly true. we're like, well, but then when he did manage the Dutch, it wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. But then maybe we have our answer of can his philosophy work at national team level, maybe we have a definitive answer right there. <laughs> I mean, so it worked with Mikels mm-hmm. in 74, right? He yeah. came in not long before the World Cup um, and kind of taught them all how to play his style. Yeah. Well, he did have a lot of Ajax players there. Yes, well. yeah. yes. Uh, um, right. Anything else before we... Um, we don't want to fade away. We, wanna, we do not. We want to go out with a bang. One bit, very brief thing <laughs> is I think because we've talked about him as this sort of like arrogant figure, this like global headline attracting figure, you do have to have sort of tragedy to balance it out a little bit to explain some of it. We've talked about a little bit with his father passing away with the kidnapping attempt at a against his family. There's also the story that I guess he had like planned to retire at the age of 30 or 31. He had entrusted, I think it was his brother-in-law. It might have been somebody else with his yeah. like entire fortune. It was a Dane Cook situation. Yes, and it was all... <laughs> yes, I know what you mean, and it works very well. Where basically all of his life savings are squandered, so then he has to... And that's when he does the... That's why he's in NASL, Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. I'll go around and make some money because mm-hmm. I have to. And so... But that like extends his that, career, which actually, is that good. Might, that might sort of be part of the rationale behind the Feyenoord situation. Oh, yeah. Right? I think yeah. it absolutely is. It's like, I've got to make this make this happen. But so he has all this success, but then he has these moments of tragedy that I think make him a more compelling character as opposed to this just sort of like everything worked out for him and he's not that interesting. <laughs> okay, so there we go. Mm-hmm. How Johan Cruyff changed soccer. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soccer 101. There's a whole, um, there's a whole feed of Soccer 101 episodes. We, Soccer 101 mm-hmm. episodes. We encourage you to scroll up and down and choose any episode you like. You if you've do. never heard us before, we also have the Total Soccer Show, which goes five days a week. It's much more news and match reviews and reaction. Um, we encourage you to listen to the Total Soccer Show as well. Also, we love iTunes reviews. We do. Give us an iTunes review or Apple Podcast review. Um, help us spread the word about Soccer 101. Nice iTunes reviews. We like nice iTunes reviews. Yes, those are the best ones. Those are the best <laughs> Not ones. Not stick to soccer iTunes Give us uh, 14 stars yes. if you can in honor of <laughs> Johan Cruyff. Or one plus four. Give us five. I mean 15. Yeah. I'd like 15. That's fine. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need 14. All right. I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for listening to Soccer 101.